Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. We look at change differently. We have kind of four different temperaments and how we deal with change represented in the room. But I want to take that to the next logical step as we begin our teaching today. And I want to ask you to grab pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, whatever you've got, and grab your, uh, either grab one of those cards or grab your bulletin you've got today and open it up. And I want you to write something down for me. I want you to think for just a minute that um, what is that one thing that if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this could change this year, if you knew this one thing could change, your life would be significantly better. What is that one thing? For some of you, boy, if you could you heal my marriage? Could I, uh, could I have a healthy marriage? For some of you, is, boy, could, it, could I get a job? For some of you, it would be, could I get the financial pressure off? For some of us, could, could I see this where this illness doesn't own me? Could I be out of this uh, relationship that is toxic? Could, whatever your one thing is. I want you to think for just a minute, and I want you to write it down. Now, this, it's important because most of you come to church and you never write anything down because you're pretty sure you're going to retain it all, okay? Um, let me just stop and say, uh, we have proven scientifically we don't retain it all. As a matter of fact, you retain less than 18% of what I said between here and the car, and by tomorrow morning, you retain less than 2%, okay? Now, I know you can listen to it on a podcast, or you've got the notes in your app today, but I want you to just go through this exercise with me. Write down what's that one thing. What's the one thing? You know, if it could change, my life would be drastically better, drastically different than it is right now. You got it? If you didn't write it down, you got it in your head? Because I want us to take a look at change and see what does God say about change. First, let's make this a very plain statement. Everything healthy, everything healthy, God has created to change. Everything. Everything healthy changes. God has created every healthy thing to change. Now, you look at that and you say, well, you know, Chuck, I'm not sure that that's that's right. Well, think about it. Um, right now, you are spinning at hundreds of miles an hour on a planet that is circling. You are in constant motion. Everything changes. But from a year ago, your life has changed. From a week ago, your life has changed. From this morning when you left the house, your life has changed. Change is not only inevitable, but God has created this world such that healthy things change. Now, I know some of us will look at this and say, well, you know what? I didn't ask for change. I don't want change. I don't like change, and I prefer the good old days. And some of us say, you know what? I believe I'm living in the good old days because the future doesn't look so bright. And some of us look at the future and say, it's so bright, I've got to wear shades. We're all looking at change a little differently. But today, when we take a look at this, I want you to start noticing this one big deal. You were created for change. <clears throat> you were designed for it. But to change and it be healthy, we do two things simultaneously. We let go of something and grab hold of something else. We let go and we hold on. You see the antonym there? You got to let go, you got to hold on. And if we don't do the two simultaneously, what happens is our change becomes unhealthy and we become just busier people. Could I just say to you, coming off of the holiday season, I literally built a file in my Evernote app that said how to not do December the same way next year. Because we need change. I, I can't do December like that again. It was just too crazy. I mean, anybody here with me? Just like, we got to change that. 
right? Well, there was one thing that you had to look at. We, we need change. Well, when you look at this, we have to be able to let go of something and simultaneously hold on to something lest we simply fall and fail. And I don't think any of us woke up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, man, I cannot wait to fail. I don't think anybody started the New Year's off and said, you know what, this is the year I'm going to incredibly bust it and lose everything I own. I don't think anybody woke up on Christmas, on, on Christmas morning looking forward to New Year's morning and said, you know what, I can't wait to do, be miserable. I can't wait to be alone. Now, don't get me wrong, when all of our 20-somethings went home, it was nice to be alone. But the fact is, none of us desire that. We, we wanted healthy change. But to do that, we simultaneously let go and have to hold on unless we fall and fail. And so you look at this and you say, wait a minute, how does this work? Well, th this concept of how we launch into a new year, how we desire to find success, is to grab the concept that everything healthy was created for change. But, but here's the challenge. Some of us are, are stuck in place based on one of three things. Some of us are stuck in who we are, what we do, and how we do it based on the approval of some other person. And we get in a rut because what we want to do is please people. You know, being a pastor, one of the things that I have learned the hard way is I am absolutely positively certain that today I will not please all of you. As a matter of fact, I'm re re relatively sure there are many of you I won't please. But when we spend our days attempting to please other people, the inevitable happens. We cease trying to please the one who created us for success because we build a different standard. But now there are some other things that keep us in trouble. It's not just in the comparison game. We, we sometimes face change, and frankly, we're just comfortable people. We, we just, I don't, I don't want to move. I kind of like thing, the way the things are. You know, don't rock the boat. If it's broke, you know, don't fix it. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Just whatever you do, don't fix it. But then we have another look at it, and some of those looks sound a little bit like this. You know what, Chuck? I, I've gotten this far in life without having to change that. I, no thanks. But God has a plan for what this looks like when we take hold of something and let go of something. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, here's what it says. For everything, there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. You go all the way back to the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what we learn? There is a time for everything to change. I mean, guess what? In a few months, we're going to have yellow stuff all over our cars. And we're going to gripe and complain about all, all, of, all of the things and how we breathe. And it's going to start getting hot. And by July and August, we're going to gripe about how hot it is. And then we can't wait for fall. And when fall gets here, we can't wait for Christmas. And when Christmas gets here, it's going to be cold, dreary, and rainy like this. And things change, don't they? And the fact is, we've got to learn to change because this is how God's wired us and built us. So at some point, we've got to figure out how does that change become healthy? How do we change in a way that is for the better, not only for you, but for those around you? And so one of the processes we look at is that nobody changes overnight. I mean, we Americans, we love stuff that fixes it like that, don't we? You know what I wish I had? I wish I could take a pill right now that I could lose 40 pounds with by tomorrow morning and eat donuts. <laughs> Would that not be the greatest pill ever? 
I mean, if you didn't have to worry about blood sugar, if you didn't have to worry about a waistline, would it not be cool if you could, when you saw that hot now flashing sign at Krispy Kreme, if your brain knew, how healthy is that? You know, and I get all my greens in. It's like eating spinach. How cool is this? But it doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, it's, it's a different process. I mean, you look at it and say, changes don't happen overnight. But here's what I do know. No one changes if they don't believe we're supposed to or need to. And if we're not careful, we will become the person who never changes and God never gets the opportunity to do what he fully wants to do with our life. You see, I believe there are people all across this room that God desperately wants to use to do something extraordinary with. We're simply standing in his way because we're unwilling to change his way. You look at that and you say, well, Chuck, how do I get out of the way? Well, I believe Scripture gives us a pretty good perspective on this, and it's this and that. It's not this or that. It's this and that. It's laying aside something, letting go of something so you can grab hold of something else. Essentially, change has to become our new norm, where we adapt to this and say, Lord, how is it you want me to change, and how do I change? Because, you see, God's plan for us is bigger than simple, more spiritual, or social moralism. I mean, if it's, if it's just about, okay, you, you walk the right way, you talk the right way, you don't smoke this, you do smoke that, you do drink this, you don't drink that, you dress this way, you don't dress that way, you comb your hair this way, you don't comb your hair this way, before long, we, we look at this and say, well, you know what I need to do? I need to try harder. I need to work, I need to work harder. I, I, need to, I need to stop saying that. If I'll stop saying that, then, then God will love me more. And if God loves me more, then God will give me more. But that's not the message of the gospel. That's not what the New Testament teaches us. I mean, what Hector said a few minutes ago is so on point in this concept that you are the recipient, I am the recipient, we are the recipient of the grace of God. Because there's nothing we do to earn his love. Now, the opposite of that is true, too. There's nothing you can do to cause him to love you more. And you look at that and say, well, well then what is there to change? Well, there's a big deal to change because transformation is not about trying harder okay change isn't about turning over a new leaf change is about finding a new life you see most of us believe that change comes when we can just tweak a few things we can make a few changes we can make a few subtleties you know but but at the end of the day here's the problem <coughs> if i change my breakfast routine but i still have a donut in the afternoon and a big meal at night guess what happens I don't get healthier, right? Because, you see, I, I don't need to tweak. I need, I need a new way to live. I mean, so, some of you have been kind enough to say, Chuck, looks like you've lost some weight. I, I've been working at it. I've got a long way to go, but I really have been working at it. But Jenny would be able to say to you, boy, everything about me has changed as to what I do. Like when I gave up Diet Cokes, I was like a crack addict for like two weeks. I mean, seriously, it was, I wasn't fit for man nor beast. Right? Because it controlled me. It owned me. I mean, listen, you get on Diet Coke, I was truly, I, I was awful, you know? But that, that's because I needed a new life. I didn't just need to tweak my life. I needed a new life. I didn't need to turn over a new leaf. I needed a new life. And for most of us, if we're going to have healthy relationships, if we're going to genuinely become all God desires us to be, and we're going to change that thing which God has laid on our heart, we've got to have a new life, not just turn over a new leaf. We've got to have a different way of looking at our life. Let, let me give you this thought. First of all, there's no trying involved. You see, here's the beauty of living 
the Jesus life. Here's the beauty of the Christian faith. Are you ready? In every other faith in the world, it's all about what you do. But to walk in Christ and to choose the Christian lifestyle is all about what God has already done. Do you see that? Now, now watch this. While all of us were created for change, have you noticed there's only one thing that never changes? The axis upon which our entire structure, our entire belief system, our entire universe spins is in the hand of God, which never changes. The one consistent thing that allows us to change healthy is the one thing that never changes, and that's the love of God, the promise of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God of God. So you look at this and say, well, how, how do I know this is true? How do I know I need a new life, not just turn over a new leaf? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You'll see it on the screens. If you're with me on the app, you'll see it in the app. Therefore, now you know, every time you read a therefore, you stop and ask yourself, what's that therefore there for? Right? And so the therefore is there for this one purpose. It's for this. Everything that Paul has said before this is cool, but what I'm about to say is very cool. You with me? So watch what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now, if you're here today and you say, Chuck, I'm new to this whole church thing, and I'm new to the whole Bible thing, that makes no sense to me. Let, let me break it down a little bit as to what Paul is actually saying here. Pa Paul is saying, no matter what, it, what else you've heard, no matter how you heard it, when we, any of us, any person, anywhere in the world, chooses to be in Christ Jesus. Now, that, that word, in Christ, those two, that's a big deal. So let's say I, I walk into a room, I open the door, I walk into the room, I pull the door to, I am now what? I am in the room, right? Okay, Let, let's take my analogy I told you about months ago that I, when I was a kid, I was a big Daniel Boone uh, fan, man, I just, Daniel Boone was a man, you know, I love me some Daniel Boone, right? Had, me, had the coonskin hat, the whole deal. Well, Daniel would always come back every night, and he'd come back into the fort, and they'd close the gate. He was now what? In the fort. All right, what the picture that Paul's trying to place for us and paint for us is this, that we can walk into the presence and the power and the joy and the goodness and the love and the grace of Christ Jesus, and he will close the door and hold us safe in Christ. But it's not because of what you do, it's because of what he's already done. Look at the rest of the text. It says there is a new creation. So when we walk into the presence of Christ, it sounds like this. Lord, I need you, kind of like that song we sang. I really need you. Every hour I need you. I don't have a magic bullet. I don't have a magic prayer. But to call on the name of the Lord, the, the Bible makes us promises that if you'll call on the name of the Lord, God will hear you. God will answer you. And, and, and what's interesting is the, the calling on the Lord, it, it, it doesn't say there's a magic pill or a magic prayer. It gives us this picture. You have a need that you can't answer for yourself, but Jesus can, so you call on him and you say, I need you. And he's faithful in to give you a new created life, a new life. And he says, old things then have passed away. You're a new person, and new things have come. But now here's the beauty of it. He's not done. You see, something new has come, something old has passed away, something's moved on, 
But we still struggle with this part of, but Chuck, if I work harder, he'll love me more, right? I mean, if, 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 if I teach more, if I give more, if I, if I show up more, if I, if I act more Christianly, God will love me more, right? No, that's not what the gospel teaches. The Bible teaches us that he has already done what's necessary for us to be able to be in Christ. All we have to do is accept it. It's like a Christmas gift. Uh, yesterday, we, we had uh, a late breakfast uh, with Rusty and Dina Thigpen, and Rusty gave me a gift at the end of that time. It was such a cool gift. It was a uh, Nike football signed by Coach Rick. How about them dogs? And so there, right there, I received that gift. Now, you know what I could have done? I could have said, no, 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 I, I, I can't receive that. Really, that's, I can't do that. Now, what would I have done to Rusty? Rusty would have thought, well, you jerk. I went and got you a gift, Right? Well, listen, God said, I want to be in this healthy relationship with you so that you can be in Christ, my son, and have a new life, a new creation. There's nothing you do to earn it. I've already done it for you. Well, you say, well, Chuck, I'd really like to grasp this a little bit more. There's no trying happens, and, and it's not about what I do, but it's what God has already done. Listen, real change starts with this new life. Now, li listen to what Paul says again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. So if you're here today and there's nothing new in your life, then I would ask you, is, is this the day that you would say, I want to step into that fort, I want to step into that relationship with Jesus so that I might be in Christ, so that I could have a new life? Maybe that's your step. Maybe today you did this years ago, dozens of years ago, but you haven't lived like it and trusted him to take you and guard you and care for you. Most often that happens because we buy into the lie of religion. I mean, I, I hear this all the time. I'll invite some, hey, man, why don't you come hang out at our church? We've got a great church, wonderful people. And I, this is the number one thing I always hear. You know what? I'm just not in for that religion thing. And people are always freaked out when I look at them and say, oh, thank the Lord, I hate religion. You know, and people look at the pastor and just think, what? Because see, what religion says to you and I is that if I obey, if I'll obey, then I can be accepted by God. Because, see, religion gives us rules, man-made rules. Religion says you've got to act a way, certain way, and you've got to think the way I do. You, you, you've got to think like I do. But you see, following in the Christ life, living the gospel-centered life, says I am accepted, therefore I obey. Do you see the, the opposite there? Religion says you've got to be a certain way before God will accept you. But God says, I will accept you, and then I'll give you the power to obey. A lot of people come into my office and they're working with some addiction in their life, and I'll say, well, let me, what have you done? And I, without fail, here's what I hear, I've tried everything. And my first answer is stop trying. You've got to start trusting the power of Christ in you. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to trust. Well, it starts with, it's number one, it's recognition, Lord, I need you. Step number two, Lord, I'm going to surrender and I want to obey you, but I need you to give me the strength to do it. Because the fact of the matter is, do you know why we sin? You know why we do stupid stuff? It's fun. That's why we do stupid stuff. I mean, I, I, I will never forget bailing out one of my daughters for a DUI in downtown Atlanta. Okay? I will never forget that day for as long as I live. I mean, no dad wants to get that call right? 
So here I go, trucking down on a Saturday morning. I go into the Atlanta City Jail, you know, and it takes me about three hours to get through the whole process. She walks out and looks like, you know, you know, death on a cracker, you know, and she's already crying, mascaras, you know, everything in me wants to absolutely, teetotally beat the snot out of her, you know, and, and, and we got in the car and I thought to myself, you know what, here's the problem. She went out and did what she wanted to do, and there was a consequence to it. But she wanted the fun more than she was concerned about the consequence. And as a result, what happened is she paid the price. But you know what happened over the next few years in that little girl's life is she began to allow God to do something in her life and take over her life. And then chose, wait a minute, there is, there is a better way here. And it's not me trying to act out the part. See, she, she knew what it was like to go to Christian school and listen to Christian music and hang out with Christian people. She had all the buzz lines. She had all the taglines. She had all the right stuff to say. But what had never really happened in her life was her simply saying, Jesus, I need you to own me. I need you to make these decisions for me. I need to surrender this to you. And then change started happening. Old things went away and new things came on. Religion says, hey, you just got to act a certain way. I'd be the first to say the death of the American church is religious people. The death of the American church are folks like me and you who get on our spiritual moralism tail and we decide, wow, that person must love Jesus or not. You know what the Bible says about that? Before you go get the toothpick out of that dude's eye, you better take care of the telephone pole sticking out of yours. Before you go clean that guy's toilet, you better get yours in order. Solomon, the wisest man, the wealthiest man, said this. And I, I think this is fascinating to me. When you, when you let go, you begin to understand that it, it is, is a process. Letting go and holding on is a process. It's not a destination. I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to recognize that it doesn't just happen overnight. Solomon, who said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning verse 12, he said this, I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaninglessness, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my gift. No, the greater his grief. I mean, Solomon, the guy who had every resource available, he had money, he had wisdom, he had power, he had people, he had every resource necessary, and when he went on the quest to figure out what's the secret to life, he said, me trying harder, me being smarter, me trying to figure it out on my own is all for folly. None of that counts for anything. It's like chasing the wind. 
If you go into Barnes & Noble today, you will see rack after rack after rack of books that will tell you five ways to a better you, four ways to leadership this year, seven habits of highly effective people, six ways that you can be awesome, four ways to be skinny in a week. You, you, every book you want to know to tell you how to do it is there. And you know what we fall prey to? We buy them all and forget this one. We bypass the one thing where Solomon said, listen, you need to stop trying so hard because it's folly. I mean, in this new year, let's, let's, let's let go of trying to change our own lives and lay hold of letting Christ do what only he can do in our life. I mean, in John chapter 3, Jesus approaches a guy by the name of Nicodemus. You're probably familiar with the story, but Nicodemus, who is a wealthy man, Nicodemus is a learned man, Nicodemus is a man of power. Nicodemus is a person who is definitely religious. I mean, he knew the rules. And his question for Jesus is, what, what, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus looks at the man who has everything, who should have the ability to know all these things, says, um, you've got to be born again. And, of course, his answer is, well, how can that happen? That doesn't make sense to me. How is a man born again? And Jesus says, now watch this. When you surrender to Jesus he gives you a brand new heart a brand new life it's like being born again you see the message for Nic Nicodemus is the same thing for us you see that wasn't the end of anybody's journey I mean in church life you know what we're, we're terribly guilty of I mean we've been ter terribly guilty of this in every church I've ever been a part of We'll finish a sermon, and people will walk an aisle, and somebody will join a church, or, or somebody will pray a sinner's prayer, and then we assume, hey, man, I trust God for heaven, but you know what? God must be done with me. I said, yes, I prayed. We're good. Yeehaw! But the fact of the matter is, watch this, our change, our transformation has one giant leap when we say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, but that change has only just begun. It changed for eternity then, but it continues to change when we allow Christ to rule on the throne of our heart. Change never stops. It's not like I prayed a prayer, I joined a church, and I'm good, I'm done. Change continues to happen when the presence of Jesus is alive and well in our life. Again, Paul writes to uh, some, some first followers of Jesus in Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 6, it says, I am sure of this, he says, that he, Jesus, who started a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying change is going to happen in your life, not just that you'll have heaven because you said yes to Jesus, but, but your life is going to change day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second, from now until you go to heaven or Jesus returns to take you there. And it's never going to stop. You just have to allow him to change you at his timing. It's kind of like if you were to go down to Bodyplex today and buy a T-shirt and a hat, is that going to make you fit? No, I mean, you can, you, you can walk around with a T-shirt that says, you know, Bodyplex and weigh 500 pounds. Because eventually what happens is you go into Bodyplex and you get on the treadmill. You with me? Some of us put on the hat and the T-shirt and we, 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 we never allowed Christ to do something else with us. We're just walking around with a hat that says, I'm a Christian. And I'm afraid the rest of the world's looking at it and saying, well, if that's it, I don't want it. Because we, we stopped changing. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he said, By these he has given us very great and precious promises. 
Peter's saying that Jesus made some promises to you and me so that through those promises, through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. In other words, here's what Peter is saying. Peter's saying, by your nature, your heart's a wicked and deceitful thing, and if you'll trust Jesus to run your life, he'll share with you his divinity. You get to experience holiness and righteousness as a child that sits at the king's table. You get to be a part of that family. I mean, how cool is it that God would actually share his divinity with us? I mean, real transformation, real change happens in a moment to secure eternity, but happens for a lifetime to secure our growth and our change. Real change is grabbing hold. It's letting go. I mean, it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, back to Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he says in verse 20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Who does he say is going to renew you? You? Self-help books? Oprah? Dr. Phil? No, he says, let the Spirit do that. Let the Spirit of God control you. Let the Spirit of God direct you. Letting go of the old us and grabbing hold of God's new us for us, there are some reasons why we don't. Let me run through them super quick. You ready? Number one, often we don't do it because we're just stubborn people. I mean, some of us are just more stubborn than others, aren't we? I mean, we're stubborn people. We like to hold on to what we know as opposed to maybe the unknown of what God may want us to do. Well, I'll tell you what, if I completely surrender to God and he changes my heart, he may want me to give more. He may want me to serve more. He may want me to go more. Some of us are just stuck. We're in a rut, and we can't get out of it, and we have determined that nothing good could ever happen to us because we're just one of those people, and fate is dealt as a bad hand, and we probably need this desperate identity change that lays hold of some holy habits. Some of us, we don't change because we're just so stinking comfortable. We'd rather hold on to what we're comfortable with rather than surrendering control and allowing Christ to take us somewhere else. A lot of us were simply afraid. What, what if I try that and I fail? What, what if I try that and people laugh at me? So we stick with what we know and hang on to our old anxieties. I mean, it's hard to change. Change is, it, come, it has a price tag. As a matter of fact, it, it hurts to to see change and create change and allow change. But change is necessary even when it hurts. The only question remaining for most of us is what hurts worse? Staying the way we are or allowing God to change us for what he desires? I sat in my office a couple weeks ago, had a young couple, and they were wrestling with... Uh, some infidelity, and one partner had uh, made a horrific decision. And uh, I looked at him, and I, I said, uh, Sir, you know, it come, kind of comes down to this. She has every reason to leave your sorry behind. I, I don't get anything from you that would say, you would rather hang on to your lifestyle than you would hold on to the gift God gave you. Am I right? He looked right back at me. You know what he said? That's about right. And I looked at his wife and I said, sweetie, you need to pick a date and leave his sorry behind because he has no desire to let God do anything to change his life. You see, some of you are sitting here today and in your 
and in, in, your, in your moralism, you understand pastors aren't supposed to do that. God hates divorce. You know, listen to me. That woman deserves better than a man who loves sin more than he does her. And I want to be clear. It's not just divorce that God hates. If we were to rail as much on gluttony as we would on homosexuality, this place would look different, wouldn't it? And you say, Chuck, you're really messing with us now. But see, the challenge is when I look at change, I have to ask myself, what do I need to let go of so that I can hold on to something God wants me to do? And that'd be my question to you today. What is it you're loving more than God's will for your life? And whatever that is, ask him to give you the power to lay it down and claim hold of something he has for you. Let's pray. God, we love you. And in this hour, we ask you that you would give us wisdom and strength, grace, the ability to move forward and claim something that is better than we could ever imagine, and the strength and the courage to let go of that which is behind us. Lord, I pray we wouldn't cling to religion. I pray we wouldn't cling to trying harder. We would cling to the presence and the power of Jesus, his love and his grace and his mercy as it pours out on our life, and that we would experience change.